This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Thank you so much, Mako, for inviting me to visit. Um, and thank you, everyone, for coming today. I know it probably involved some decision-making on each of your parts, whether to come out or not in these uncertain times. And, you know, I've, it feels like a, a, a great honor and privilege to be speaking to you this morning. Uh, I think as the news came each day over the week and the seriousness of what we're facing became clearer and clearer, and I watched Mako and Tim and other Sangha members trying to figure out what's the best, the most appropriate response and also being in touch with Sanghas around the country and my own home Sangha at San Francisco Zen Center, uh, realizing this is a time when uh, so much is unknown. We just don't know what's next and many people are frightened and uh, you know, to be able to speak to all of that today, although that's not the theme of the talk that I was planning to give, and I'm going to give the talk I was planning to give, uh, but I can't ignore what's happening. Um, it just feels like a great privilege to be sitting in this chair t- this morning, and I hope my words will be helpful in some way. I just want to uh, offer a few words from uh, Zen Center's uh, city center abbot, David Zimmerman, which I saw yesterday. He said, Everything is changing quickly. Almost hourly, we receive new information and updates regarding the expanding spread of the virus and what we need to do to protect ourselves from it and or to mitigate its impact. The practice effort required of us now is one of compassionate accountability to do our best to take loving and conscientious care of ourselves and each other. And that is what I think uh, the leaders here are doing and um, at Zen Centers and of course many other places where people gather around the country. Because we you know, we we want to practice together. That's that's what brought everyone here this morning, what brings you here at other times to Austin Zen Center. It's part of the nature of our Zen practice. And so when we have to deal with social distancing, it's a big question. How do we do that and stay connected? So I think that is something that we're going to be practicing with for weeks weeks to come. We don't know how long. Uh one of the unknowns. So, um, Mako asked me to talk on a topic that's dear to my heart. Uh, it's the work of a Zen, he's not a Zen teacher, but a Buddhist teacher, who um, was one of the guiding teachers, one of the core teachers at Spirit Rock Meditation Center in the Bay Area. His name is Larry Yang. And he wrote a book called Awakening Together, The Spiritual Practice of Inclusivity and Community. And he comes from uh, his experience of 
being a gay man of color. His, he was an immigrant. His family was Chinese. And uh, go, being very drawn to Dharma practice and initially going to retreats where he looked around and he was the only person he saw like himself. And that was very painful for him. Uh, he didn't stop practicing, and what he did over the last maybe 10 years was to really advocate that Spirit Rock change some of its policies so that currently there's a four-year teacher training program. 80% of the participants in it are either uh, people of color or people who are LGBTQIA. And those people will become teachers. And that makes it easier for people in those um, underrepresented groups to come and um, find teachers and teachings and places, practice places where they can feel more at home. So um, I decided to talk on one chapter in Larry's book, uh, the chapter on belonging. Um, and what I'd like to do is talk about first how, what do we mean by belonging and how do we experience belonging to ourselves, this inner sense of belonging and ease with ourselves, that's not easy. And then how does that manifest in our practice places when we're wanting to create, I'm going to use the term, a safe enough space. There's no place that's 100% safe for everybody, but a safe enough place for people to come and practice together and um, what it's like to have that sense of not belonging, which I'm sure everyone can identify with. It's happened in one way or another in almost everybody's life. Uh, Then what are some of the ways in which we can continue to explore that concept of safe enough space? I'm going to include a couple of poems in my talk because I love poetry, and... um, I'm hoping to have a little time at the end for Q&A. The time is already going very quickly. So um, I'll just say uh, something about the inner experience of belonging. Oh, and I wanted to say beforehand, I think this topic is important to uh, Austin Zen Center, as it is to many of the branching streams Zen Centers around the country. I was happy to see on your website uh, a statement of inclusivity. And also there's the group that Mako referred to, WAKE, that is meeting for six weeks, is an effort to help people be aware of how power and privilege and unconscious um, conditioning can get in the way of creating a place that truly feels inclusive for everyone. So that work isn't easy to do, uh, especially when we're looking at issues around race. It's sometimes very hard to talk about, and I really appreciate the effort that's being made here to address some of those challenging and important questions for our sanghas, for this sangha, for every sangha. We're doing the same work at San Francisco Zen Center. So just in terms of that sense of what, what can help us create a sense of belonging. I'm going to ask you to just reflect for a moment on what is that inner experience of belonging for you? How does it feel in your body when you have a sense of belonging? 
internally. A sort of ease with yourself. How does it feel in your heart? And what qualities allow you to relax into being present, feeling you can authentically be who you are? Can you get in touch with that feeling right now? And for some of us who are from underrepresented groups, we may have a heightened feeling of not belonging, not feeling seen, heard, or valued. We may have internalized negative messages from others about our race, gender, sexual orientation, or age. And the work of cultivating self-compassion is long. I think that Zen practice can really help us with that, with being able to become more aware of our self-judgments and allow us to develop a kinder inner voice towards ourselves. We may be able to accept our mistakes and, uh, you know, let go of that sense of needing to be perfect and accept that we can be good enough and that's good enough. So there's a poem that expresses some of that feeling about coming um, home to oneself. It's it's called Love After Love, and it's by Derek Walcott, who was a Caribbean poet. He's no longer living. Love After Love. The time will come when, with elation, you will greet yourself arriving at your own door, in your own mirror, and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you ignored for another who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your image from the mirror. Sit, feast on your life. So I think especially when times are hard, finding ways we can uh, sit and at peace with ourselves, take good care of ourselves, in the, not only in the physical way of getting enough rest and exercise and eating well, but uh, internally, can we find ways of appreciating ourselves? So when we move from that individual sense of belonging and enter a group of people, especially a new group, feelings of not belonging can easily arise. You might think about a moment when that happened in your life, that you, you may have entered a group and felt different, or somehow that you didn't fit. And that is, in a sense, it's a, a process of entering any group. Um, I used to work with groups as a social worker, and there are stages a group goes through, and the early stages of forming a group and finding the norms of a group. Um, 
everybody comes into a group looking around and checking it out and feeling, is this place where I can thrive? Can I really be myself here? Uh, and that is heightened for people uh, who may look around and feel, as Larry did, I don't see anyone here like me. And it's possible to become, uh, to, to get through that feeling. Um, and there are ways in which groups can create safe enough spaces that people can find a sense of ease in a group. And that takes a kind of a, a level of awareness of what is needed for everyone to be able to ex- experience that sense of ease. And, and there is actually um, what's safe enough for one person may not be safe enough for another. So there's not just uh, one, one way that fits in all situations. So part of awakening as a community, which is what Larry's book is about, is acknowledging how people's differing needs may affect how safety is generated differently for different groups and what creates a sense of refuge for each person. And Larry says, creating a space that's safe enough to feel as if one belongs requires more than just the intention to do so and a few words from the community. It requires a set of actions, behaviors, and attitudes to support those intentions. It means creating a space that people will feel not just invited into, but also connected to and can fully participate in. So a few weeks ago, I went to a two-day non-residential retreat with a, a teacher named Rhonda McGee, who also wrote a book, which I brought, and I highly recommend. Rhonda McGee is a law professor at uh, the University of San Francisco. She's African-American. She's, um, she started in a group of, a, of lawyers to um, practice with Norman Fisher. He, he, he's a former abbot of San Francisco Zen Center who started a group for lawyers quite some time ago. And she also studied with John Kabat-Zinn uh, mindfulness-based stress reductions. And she offers workshops on color insight, coming from color blindness to color insight. Uh, so she blends Buddhist teachings, her awareness of race as an important factor in how we relate to one another, and her, um, I would just say, her warm heart and clarity about some of these things. Um, so she did a number of things to create safety in the workshop I attended. There were about 60 people, about a third were people of color, and there were many people who were LGBTQIA. That's les- um, I'll just say what those initials are in case it's not clear. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, uh, intersex, and asexual, but there are also some other initials, sometimes just called Rainbow or Alphabet Sangha. There's a group in the East, at the East Bay Meditation Center that, that has a, a group for people who identify in one of those ways, and they call it Alphabet Sangha. There are so many letters that you can add. <laughs> and uh, we have a group at, Zen, at San Francisco Center. We just call it Queer Dharma. Uh, anyway, 
Rhonda did a number of things in that retreat that created enough safety. I, I would say that everybody there was able to be themselves and and uh, express themselves. So a, a few things that she recommended are recognizing something I've already said that internally that we're not perfect, be okay with ourselves, forgive ourselves when we make mistakes, to invite inquiry, to have a curiosity about each other and want to get to know each other, to have uh, in, in um, to welcome the whole range of emotions that can be expressed in a space, including anger, and to adopt some communication guidelines. For example, one, we have some guidelines that we use at San Francisco Zen Center in classes and other settings uh, that they're called guidelines for multicultural interaction. And one of them is to speak from our own experience, not, not using we, but using I. Um, and also a very important one to notice which voices are in the room and which ones are being heard and can we step back if we tend to speak a lot and step forward if we tend to hold back so to create a space that's really shared by everyone and she did a lot of meditation in that retreat including some meditations that helped cultivate self-compassion as well as compassion towards others. So there was a, a, many, a rich blend of things she did um, that I think helped create a very welcoming, safe enough space for everyone. And I wanted to share one other poem. This one is by a San Antonio poet you may know. Um, she's one of my favorite poets, Naomi Shihab Nye. And um, her father was Palestinian and her mother uh, uh, came from Texas. I'm not sure where in the U.S. her mother came from. But as a young a child, Naomi was uh, brought up, I think, initially in uh, Ferguson, uh, Missouri. And um, as a young girl, her family went back to Israel-Palestine for some time, and she met her relatives there. And got a real sense of that culture, the Palestinian culture. So this poem is called Red Brocade. The Arabs used to say, when a stranger appears at your door, feed him for three days before asking who he is, where he's from, or where he's headed. That way, he'll have strength enough to answer. Or by then, you'll be such good friends you don't care. Let's go back to that. Rice? Pine nuts? Here, take the red brocade pillow. My child will serve water to your horse. No, I wasn't busy when you came. I was not preparing to be busy. That's the armor everyone puts on to pretend they have a purpose in the world. I refuse to be claimed. Your plate is waiting. We will snip fresh mint into your tea. So that feeling of welcoming the stranger, uh, really um, wanting to help a person who's new feel at home. I have to say, I felt welcomed in that way when I came here. I had a tour by Tim and just wonderful conversations with some of you in the room. And um, I just really uh, came to appreciate this space 
greatly and fell in love with the tree outside. <laughs> so um, that's something about welcoming the stranger. Um, so I think, you know, part of um, becoming an inclusive community is envisioning the world we'd like to see, the sangha we'd like to see. Uh, Rhonda talked a lot about, she, she called it amplifying the good that we see, that we'd like to see. There's so much that's good in each of us. There's so much that's good in this community. How can we amplify that? How can we share it, make it available? And also um, the power of personal vows, like really making a vow to work on some of these issues around inclusivity if they're important to you, figuring out how to do that. Um, and uh, Rhonda ends her book with a very short poem that I'd like to share because uh, I want to save time for some questions and comments. Uh, May the ocean of our healing, your river meeting mine, bring peace, renew the places and spaces we share, and strengthen the currents running through us of justice, of just this, unceasingly. <coughs> and she did talk about how this work is never done. And um, can we vow to do it for the rest of our lives? And uh, I have to say, I, I've, that sense of doing the work for the rest of my life feels very poignant. I don't know how many years I have left to do this work. But then I think about Blanche Hartman, who was the founding teacher of Austin Zen Center. We had diversity a diversity committee years ago at Zen Center, which we were both part of. She would always bring chocolate to the diversity com committee meeting, and she was really passionate about this her whole life. She grew up in the South, and her father was a civil rights worker, so her family experienced a lot of, um, you'd say, ostracism. Uh, and I think that fueled her sense of the importance of working for a more inclusive community and world. And chanting the loving-kindness meditation this morning, you know, uh, can we send loving-kindness to all beings, wherever they are, uh, whatever state they are in? And uh, you know, it starts with ourselves, and then it, it goes wider and wider. So I'm going to end my comments there, and I think we still have nine minutes for questions or comments, if anybody has anything you'd like to talk about, either about my talk or anything else. Yes, Maurice. Uh, so it's uh, bringing up diversity being in San Francisco where there's a tremendous amount of diversity now we used to, how does one, when moving and relocating, mm -hmm. um, I don't want to say this. <laughs> um, there is fear in moving, is basically what I'm saying. And everything is unknown, I don't know neighborhoods, I don't know communities. How to maintain a compassionate heart rather than living with fear. 
Well, it it does start internally, being kind to yourself, recognizing that it's not easy to start over in a new place, uh, looking for people in places where you feel comfortable. I, I've noticed a lot of friendliness as I walk around Austin. People tend to smile when you smile at them. That's unusual. <laughs> that doesn't happen everywhere. Uh, come, you know, participate in in groups that you feel drawn to, like this one. Um, and you think you'll find your way. I would be patient because it takes a while, you know. But you you'll have a sense of where you feel you're welcomed or you're interested in reaching out and getting to know people. Uh, I'm going to refer to something. I hope it's okay with you, Bunkai, but uh, I, when I got here and I, I spent an evening with Choro and Bunkai, Bunkai mentioned a bookstore that's walking distance from this center. And um, so I found it one night, and it's, it's a, a bookstore that um, has small press books, and they have a literary community. And so if you like, you know, if you like books, so that's a place Bunkai felt at home and he can go back there. I, I happened to go there the night they had a reading. It's a, it's so you you know, you just figure out you can it can sometimes be trial and error, but think about what interests you have, what you enjoy doing and find places where you can meet other people who share that interest. If I can uh, one small little uh, funny story. My first time I went to San I'm going to ask if you would not, because oh, there's so little time for Q&A. Oh. I'd like to share the time with others, if that's okay with you. Okay. Yeah, thanks. Yes. Um, I don't know if this is a question or more like a comment. Uh, maybe I can help uh, him as well. But I've been an immigrant um, in the U.S. came in 2003, and I feel like I can, I can totally relate to that feel of feeling discomfort when you go to a new place. Um, and somewhat fear and uh, I feel like I have found something similar um, to what I see in the Sangha um, when it comes to like sports or maybe yoga and um, I feel like the feel of uh, home uh, the, the, the meaning of home has become more of a feeling than a destination because mm-hmm. I also changed states a few times in the U.S. And I feel like the practice is what really helps me really go deep inside and really um, realize that happiness and, um, and the comfort, feeling of comfort comes from inside. You know? So it's really, um, it's really deep inside that, that courage is built. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you for sharing that. I think that's you describe that inner sense of home, which is like that inner sense of belonging. Yeah, and always that, going back to the bread, which makes yeah. you um, learn how you how you can start fresh. You know, go back to one. Yes, that's beautiful. Thank you, Billy. And, and I think as an immigrant, you certainly would have. Um, moving around to different places within the U.S. each time. Where is home? If you can find it internally, it helps so much. So that may be helpful to you as well, Maurice. Yeah. Thank you. And anyone else? Yes. Uh, Mary. So one thing um, 
that I've gleaned from being someone who's moved a lot. And uh, I grew up in that generation of um, the South, uh, in the, you know, the integrated South, where you know we were raised to. It was understood that we were going to uh, uh, face hostility because we were different, we, we were integrating, and uh, that was just, it was like, okay, that's what you're gonna deal with. So that, so there was that. But over the decades, um, and then from, you know, being in the military and being stationed in different places, I've, I've learned that we have to kind of give ourselves a break and <coughs> not expect <coughs> ourselves to be just, just kind of like understand we're going to have some time when we're just going to miss that old place because change and transition is just not it's it's not easy and to give ourselves a break to give ourselves some uh, you know be patient with ourselves and pat ourselves on the back for doing things like coming to the Zen Center and you know, just even if it's only once a week, you see the slumber. Just like give yourself a little, okay, I, I did that, all right. Because it's, it's, we just have to be patient because it's a process that you go through. I mean, it's, it's like in the different places I was stationed when I was in the military. Like the first place I was stationed, I was like, my God! <laughs> I was stationed in Las Vegas, if you can imagine. A more bizarre place to have to be in the military, but I think the bottom line I'm saying is uh, patience mm -hmm. with ourselves, patience with our sense of adjustment, because it's you know the Buddhist thing about causes and conditions. It's like a lot of causes and conditions are coming at us and working in us, and we're gonna it's gonna happen, but just give yourself a break and give yourself a hug every once in a while for, for doing what you have done. Thank you. And yeah, that reminder to celebrate small things is really important. Um, yeah. Marco. Yes, I was, uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on, uh, with in, in terms of the topic of belonging, it always uh, brings up the feeling of belonging or feeling of not belonging, mm -hmm. and how we as a community or as individuals within a community, um, in the striving towards belonging or that assessment that, that we do, do I belong, do I not belong, um, how do we avoid othering during that process in search for our own sense of belonging? Do you know do you know what I'm getting at? So like if you go into a community and you wonder who here looks like me or has the same cultural background or same value structure, to then not take people who are different and other them. Like how do we do that simultaneous with appreciating the belonging that we do find? Like how do we find a common sense of, I mean I've got some answers rattling in my mind but I wanted to hear what you had to say. Well, I think one of the things is really being curious about everybody, you know, um, being interested 
in people's stories, asking questions, listening, I think getting to know people uh, by just, what brought you here? Or uh, what do you love about practice? Or uh, it just, um, uh, I think it's that, uh, you know, it, it, it may be helpful to find somebody who is like yourself in some way, but we're also all so complex. We're not all, any, no one is completely like anybody else. We have multiple identities. So, uh, you know, you can look for what you have in common, but it might be like you both like to play music. Classical music, or maybe you both enjoy uh, hiking. You know, there are various ways in which we try to connect, um, or we we share a love of um, dogen. That's <laughs> something I'm trying to think of a Zen example <laughs> because that's what brings most people here. Or, uh, or, or you may find. Someone else who really enjoys um, some of the ritual aspect of practice, or someone else who, like you, might not feel so comfortable with the ritual ap- aspect of practice. You know, just but just being curious. Well, what, what, um, what's your experience of this or that? And and then being able to listen, not having to um, feel you have to agree um, necessarily, but just being open to somebody's experience. I think that goes a long way. Um, one of the things, and you may do that here sometimes, uh, when we have practice periods, we have a way-seeking mind talk every week, and a student will talk about what brought them to practice, and that is a way of getting to know people in depth. Even if you don't do that as a group, you can ask <coughs> questions of someone about their way-seeking mind, you know, um, um, Informally, I mean, it's going to be harder now with this period of um, social isolation. But I think if you hold a long view of what can help create that kind of, a, I, I mean, I think it's here already, where people seem interested to know each other. Um, yeah, the curiosity goes a long way. The beginner's mind and not being judgmental. That was something else Rhonda talked about in her workshop that helps create a safe enough space. Is that helpful? Yeah. So I think we're going to have to stop um, in terms of time. Thank you all for your attention. I know you're going to miss this place um, in the next few weeks. And I hope, actually, I I read an email from the guiding teacher in Seattle, uh, Allison Tate. And at the end of her email to her sangha, because they are closed and they're trying to figure out how to do things uh, through Zoom, she said, um, be kind to yourselves and one another. And I think if we can all do that, we'll be able to get through this really challenging time that's ahead. So thank you very much.